Hey, welcome in to Talking Catholic, David O'Gray. I'm David O'Gray, and I have an exciting show for you today and a wonderful guest who I want you to meet and everything that she's doing with her, her foundation throughout the world. I think you're going to be excited. I think you're going to want to support what she's doing. And we will begin right after this eight-second introduction. Hey, Muji Kaiser, welcome on to Talking Catholic. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excellent. Um, I've been wanting to have you on the show because I think I first saw you in the National um, Catholic Reporter. Is that correct? Register, right. National Catholic. Yeah, you, there's an article about you and there's Deacon Harold in there. Mm -hmm. And there's um, another gentleman in there as well who have had, have had um, on the show. And so, and you were talking, there, there were a lot of things going on at that time about, about, about um, race in the country and everything like that. And you were giving your perspective and um, talk a little bit about that, about how they, they found you and, and just how that whole, that whole thing came about. Sure. Yeah. So the author of that article um, is a really wonderful woman here in the community named Monica Seeley. And she reached out because she was hearing just different things on, on the news about you know, claiming the Catholic Church was racist. And this was deeply disturbing to her and to others, obviously. So she wanted accounts from um, faithful Black Catholics that she knew. So she, we know each other from the community here in Santa Paula, um, but she also is a really great supporter of one of the children, or young men, I should say, um, that my orphanage, my foundation supports, who is an orphanage and who is um, in a seminary now and, and discerning the priesthood. So oh, okay. she, yeah, she's she's been supporting um, him. And so she reached out to me and we did the interview and it was really great. I felt like it, it came from a really wonderful place because she truly wanted to know. Um, and I, I really enjoyed speaking to her. Um, I affirmed that the Catholic Church is not, is not racist in my opinion. I haven't, I've never had any, any experience um, like that. I mean, you have, individuals within a church or within any kind of group that can be any kind of thing, but um, the church yeah. is, it's ridiculous to say that the church is racist. Yeah. And another person in the article with you was um, Jordan Pacheco, which mm -hmm. you, you know, he's been on, on talking Catholic and um, you guys, this, you know, you think of, of California, cause you're out in California, you think of California as like a huge place, but apparently, you know, traditional minded Catholics seem to find mm -hmm. each other. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm in Santa Paula, so I'm actually quite, quite about an hour or so away from, from where his parish is. But, you know, the, yeah. the traditional Catholic community just tends to, to meld with each other. So it's great. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Now, to back up um, a little bit, um, you're originally from Nigeria. That's where you, you were born at. Mm -hmm. um, and you were born into the faith. Right, you're born. You're born into the into the Catholic faith. Um, how did you How did you end up in the United States? Yeah. So, shortly after my third birthday, I fell suddenly ill. Um, this is while we were in Nigeria. So, my mother and father and my three brothers, and I just I wasn't able to walk. Um, the doctors at the time in Nigeria couldn't figure out what was what the problem was, and we we're performing kind of pointless surgeries. And at, and at that point, my grandfather. Um, was a, a blessing. Um, he was Nigeria's ambassador to Germany. So he was able to pull some strings for my mother and I. Um, he wasn't able to to do that so my, my father and brothers could join. 
my mom and I came to New York. Um, the doctors there diagnosed it right away. It was osteomyelitis, uh, a bone disease, um, but they didn't think that I would live. I was in that, actually in the hospital for a year, my mother and I, and I, I fought it and I won, um, thank God. And after I did you know, survive, they didn't think I would walk again. And after some period, I started to walk again. Um, and it's just, wow. it's just a testament, a testament to my parents' faith, my mother's faith. Um, one of my earliest memories was, was her sitting by my bedside and saying the rosary with me. Um, yeah. that, that's something that's always stuck with me. And I love doing that with within my family now and with my little kids who don't quite understand what we're saying, but I know that they're <laughs> seeing it and they're hearing it and the graces yeah. are there. Um, but that's how we came to America. So initially we were going back and forth. Obviously the rest of our family was there, but it just got to be too expensive because I needed to come for, for follow-up. So after a while, my mom and I just set up root here and we sent for the rest of our family some years later. Oh, wow. So your first impression in the United States is um, you're what? How are you? You were three years old at that time. Yeah. And so um, a disease which was, you know, they can really diagnose in Nigeria, mm -hmm. just poking around. So you come over here, they diagnose it really quickly, but you're you're unable to walk for a while. And um, well, you finally guess, I mean, what is it like? I mean, because you're you're young <laughs> and you're really just learning how to get around anyway. What is rehab like when you're, <laughs> when you're that late young? That's that's weird. I think the blessing is that I was so little that I only remember little bits of it. Yeah. But I actually needed to have follow-up surgery later. So I actually had a hip replacement in 2011. Oh, wow. And that was interesting, being in college. Um, and they, yes, it was that was an interesting experience. That I remember. <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't have been able, I don't know that I could have had that available if I was still in Nigeria, at least at least not with the assurance that it was going to be done well. Um, I, yeah. I grew up in Cleveland, which has a Cleveland clinic, one of the world's yeah, yeah. amazing yeah, companies. Yeah. Um, so I was I was fortunate to have that surgery there and I feel great. Yeah, so, you, so you're great now. You can like run a marathon now, you're good. No, well, I feel great, but you know, I'm trying to make the baby last, so I don't do, I don't do things that are gonna overexert it, but. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. So you said you ended up um, in Cleveland, Ohio, and mm -hmm. we're from the same part of. You know, I'm not from Cleveland, but I'm not far from it. Where I, where I grew up from. So we grew up around you know the same area. Cold there, definitely a little bit colder <laughs> than Nigeria. Yes. Right? <laughs> right. But you're going back and forth from um to from Cleveland to Nigeria to visit to visit family and stuff mm -hmm. like that. What's it like? What's, especially as a, as a Catholic. What's it like the the experience which you're experiencing in Cleveland as a Catholic versus what you're going back at home, going back home? And I'm assuming it's a much more vibrant Catholic faith at exactly. home. So growing up in Cleveland, we belonged to a parish um, that didn't really have much of a youth presence, I should say. So I didn't have a lot of Catholic friends, um, okay. and the Catholics that we we did know were older than my my mom even. Um, so it, it was definitely different. I, it was, I think when you're a teenager, you look for peers that share your, your faith. I think it makes it, um, it's really impactful. I think it's difficult in this secular you know, world that we live in to be a teenager. There's certain pressures that even like the media and things that you're seeing on TV. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm really grateful now that I live in this beautiful community, rich with 
other Catholics that are um, that live their faith, and, that, and I think of my children as they grow up, and as they have peers around them that are also Catholic. Um, yeah. That's a blessing. So it was really interesting going back to Nigeria, at where every Sunday, like everyone is going to to mass or to one ser service or another. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that really formed me in my youth. Mm -hmm. I it was I would always look forward to going back there with the uh, with the longing to kind of be refreshed spiritually hmm. felt like it was, it was lacking um, here in America, at least where I lived. And my mom was very rich in faith. So we would pray together and obviously we would go to mass together, but it's, it's different when you have others around you that are also practicing. Yeah. Um, so I, it was a blessing to have that. And it's such a juxtaposition like, to kind of, um, you know, the two, the two experiences, but yeah. Yeah. Did your mom keep you grounded in the faith? Because I mean, in, in Cleveland, and even I mean, I mean, even with the college, with the thing with the Cleveland State, you got a couple undergraduate degrees there mm -hmm. in, in journalism and psychology, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you're growing up in Cleveland, you go off to college, um, but it sounds like your mom's keeping you grounded in the faith because there was a lot of options. I mean, you can become a mm -hmm. Protestant. I know mm -hmm. Cleveland has some interesting um, Protestant communities from, mm -hmm. from um, people who native from Africa, Nigeria, and Ghana. They have some strong Protestant communities there. Was there any draw to ever leave the faith? No, never. I think that if anything, it was just you reach we reach a certain age. And I think especially when you're, you know, a cradle Catholic, you've been Catholic mm -hmm. your whole life, where you can kind of become lazy if you're not careful. Um, I think it's really, I'm really moved by converts and the zeal that they have for their mm -hmm. faith. And I have a lot of friends that are converts. Um, and and I love that, like that energy and just it's that newness and just, I think sometimes when you're a cradle Catholic, if you're not careful, you, it reaches a point, especially as you get to like your teenage or, you know, early, early twenties where you have to make it your own. Like you're, no, you're no longer doing it because and, and no one's forcing you, like your parents. Yeah. You'd have to encourage you to pray or go to mass or go to confession, any of these things. Um, so it did really reach a point where I found that I I did make it my own. I think it was after I had certain experiences, um, not in my teenage years, but after I moved to, to Los Angeles to kind of pursue things um, career-wise and just being surrounded by a really secular community. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was very lonely. Um, I, f I felt something lacking and yeah. I thank God because that's when I realized how, how important my faith was to me. Um, I yeah. continue to go to mass and I continue to do these things, but it, it, I grew to some extent. Um, it was a very, really pivotal moment for me, just yeah. that isolation and, and kind of feeling yeah, you're, like, you're in California. I mean, you, you I mean, you had the journalism and a psychology degree, but you kind of, I guess you lean towards the media. And so you're in, in California, right? Working in the media industry. You're, you're, you know, you're working with Tom Cruise and J-Lo and all these people, right? I worked, yeah, I worked for an entertainment agency, one of the the top ones in the country. And it was a really great experience um, just in terms of career experience. But um, yeah. so I started in the mailroom of this agency but I gravitated towards the nonprofit sector. So they had okay. a nonprofit sector that paired their celebrity clients with different really great nonprofit organizations that they were passionate okay. about. Um, but within that, uh, that wasn't for me. That was that was something that I realized was was uh, not a good experience. Just very secular. 
when I would speak about my Catholicism, just kind of getting a lot of judgment, um, people were amazed that I that I went to mass. Um, and just it wasn't it wasn't an environment that was conducive for for someone who who wanted to be um, faithful. Yeah. Yes. So, but it was good because that was the point where I realized, like, I'm I'm thankful that it led me to this career and not you know the nonprofit management. This is what mm-hmm. I want to continue to do. Um, but I reached a point where I was like, I want to be in a better environment. So I yeah. moved home with my mother because um, she was having she was having back surgery. And it was interesting because I I spoke to one of the people that worked with me at that agency and I told them my dilemma. I was doing well in my position, but my mom was having a surgery. I feel like I should go back and take care of her. What would you do? And I remember mm-hmm. his reply and he said, you know, I love my mom too, but I'm not going to give my career to, to go home. Right. Um, so obviously like I prayed over it and I decided to go home and a year later, my mom passed away. So I'm, I'm really thankful that I was able to discern and, and, and to, to realize that that all that glitters is not gold. Um, mm-hmm. And it was the best decisions that I ever made because now I, I'm doing the work that I really enjoy. Wow. So you're able yeah. to spend a year with your mother, your mother who made, I mean, tremendous sacrifices for you, um, bringing you here, eventually staying here. I know she eventually... Um, who came over? Was your brother and your father? Or talk a little bit about that. What what happened? Because your mom's married, and you know she's <laughs> super long distance, right? So my my yeah. parents were married for over 30, 30 years, and initially when we came, they just weren't able to come. And then we filed for them, and we're going through the whole process with immigration. My brothers came um, about seven years later in two thousand, but my dad um, was a little bit older, you know, kind of. It was, I guess it was complicated. He had reasons for wanting to stay. But my parents, okay. what what an example of what marriage is, right? Like, wow. Um, we would go back and forth and see him often, but yeah, the, yeah, that entire time they were, for 20 plus years that they were married, they were apart. Wow. So um, it was really beautiful. Like, I imagine, I can't imagine how hard it was for, for both of them, but it was a beautiful example for me just seeing how dear that sacrament was, it, you know. Being, mm-hmm. there was no divorce. Um, you make it work. So I think now that I'm I'm married, having that example um, is amazing. Yeah. So yes, there was my mom um, and dad. They were together. They were separate that entire time. And my father didn't actually come until after my mom passed away. Wow. Is when he was granted his green card. Wow. And that was separate, like a few months later, three months later. So that was kind of heartbreaking, but it was still beautiful because he got to, you know, he was able to come here and see where I grew up. And he yeah. passed away shortly after because you realized he had terminal cancer. He passed away here in this country? Yeah, five months after my mom passed away. Wow. So that was a year. <laughs> yeah. But it was also one of, strangely enough, like it was one of the most beautiful years I've ever had. I know that sounds really weird. Um, We had a really beautiful parish that had this 24-hour chapel just like you know half a mile from my house and just being able to go there in front of the holy sacrament um and just pour myself you know into it was just healing i don't think i've ever felt closest closer to christ um so you just have to and now like life is wonderful but man the way lord consoles us when we're grieving is just like yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
And so you talked about your 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 husband for a minute, and and you guys, where did you guys? How did you? Where did you meet your husband? At was it in California? Or was it in Cleveland or what? Yeah, so I just left California because I decided that I wanted to be with my mom, and then we met on Catholic match, um, per the recommendation of my priest. Because I oh, I realized you know, oh, I, I want a Catholic husband, and I, there aren't many around here where I'm at. So he was like, "Why don't you go on online? Where are you dating?" Yeah, him? so your priest in in Cleveland. Yes. And he recommends, hey, you know, you're you're, you're called to marriage. Obviously, you're not going to be a nun, so you're looking for a good husband. Mm-hmm. And so he recommends Catholic match. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. And so like, you, who have a lot of experience from your parents about long distance relationships, you're ready for this, right? You meet this guy, <laughs> and he's and he's still in California. Right, and I was like, I I just left. Well, like, where were you? <laughs> <laughs> So we we did long distance. It was interesting. Right before my mom passed away, at the point where she was going in for her surgery, we just started dating. And, you know, I feel like God put this thought in my head, like, what if this is your husband? What if something happens to your mom and she never knows of him? So I had to just kind of think about it in that moment. And I was like, if I tell her she's going to get super excited. And I don't, I know, I want her to like get her hopes up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I decided, I'm like, I, you know, I met this, this man on Catholic Match. Um, he and his family are saying the rosary for you. And I just oh, wow. you should know that. And she was like, wow. you know, she was very excited, but was trying to not, not show it too much. Yeah. So I just, I just back and, and she never got to meet him, but how amazing. Never got to meet him. Did she ever see him on like, you got a Skype or Zoom or something? I don't know what they were doing back then. Yeah. I think she saw a picture of him. A picture of him? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow, there's a plug for Catholic Match. Catholic <laughs> Match, if you're watching, we can put in commercial right here. That's what really, yeah. <laughs> that's really, you know, I was on, you know, when I was, um, you know, after I discerned out of the um priesthood, you know, I was on Catholic Match for you know a little while, and I found that you know, first I started off on uh, Plenty of Fish, and then I found out the free thing didn't really, you know, and I saw I found myself paying more, more, and more. I figured, well, the more I paid, the more the better quality I get. So at some point in time, I'm on Catholic match or Catholic single, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not finding a lot of Catholic women who I thought was, you know, really there with, you know, things like, you know, no sex before marriage and things right. like that. So, but you, you had good fortune. God bless you. Yeah. Pays to, to be obedient to your priest, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is something. Now I want you to talk a little bit about, um, before we get into your, um, your, your ministry and what you're doing there. I want to ask you about um, being culturally from Nigeria in America, right? Mm-hmm. Even though you know you spend most of your life here in the United States, mm-hmm. but you still have a lot of ties there. Your mother's from there. You're mm-hmm. raised by a Nigerian mother, a lot of culture there. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, here, here in America, a lot of us who, you know, most of us, a lot of us who are born here, we, we identify as like culturally black, whatever, whatever that means. You know, sometimes we don't even know what that means because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. But talk a little bit, what, what does it mean to grow up in America, not being necessarily culturally black from, you know, from being born here and all everything that's tied to that, right. but being an immigrant from Africa, what is that, what is that like? That's such a good question. It was an interesting experience, especially when I was younger. So it was a bit like I didn't know where I belonged. Um, And it's not like I was trying to place myself, but I kept feeling like other people were trying to place me. 
my mom was a teacher and she taught um, in, the, in the inner city. So when I would go to school with her, um, I would see you know, her, her students and they would hear me speak and I grew up in a predominantly white area. And they would go, you sound white. And I was like, sound white, what's that mean? <laughs> So, you know, you're a kid and it kind of hurts. You're like, what? Why do I get, like, I don't think I sound funny, but so there was that. And then also, you know, in the Nigerian community, I'd been here for so long and a lot of um, my Nigerian peers, like, weren't, hadn't been here quite as long. So they still have the accent and they're also telling me that I sound white <laughs> and I'm not Nigerian enough. Wow. No, oh, it's silly. So I don't know. I don't. I don't worry about it, and I don't think about it. I, I guess I'm Nigerian American. Um, yeah. But yeah. I don't feel like I need to put myself in any kind of any. Right. 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 But, but, but did you feel? Did you feel like pressure to like change yourself to fit? I think if I were, I think if I was in a community that was predominantly black, I may have felt that pressure. Cause I did feel it when I would go to school with my mother. Um, and then in college at that point, I, I went to a college that was really ethnically mixed yeah. and I didn't feel that pressure there. But I think at that point I was already, um, I was more confident. Um, I, yeah. if I had felt that, I, I don't think I would have responded to it appropriately. Yeah. But it's the formative years where you, when you feel that pressure that can either yeah. you or hurt you or. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of like my experience, I think. Cause I, you know, I think my mother she didn't re she when she married my stepfather Roy. We moved to a neighborhood that was, you know, for a long time, we were the only like black family on the street. You know, mm -hmm. Roy is one of those guys, you know, he did well. So he went, he moved out of the hood, so to speak. He moved out of his community around a bunch of people who didn't look like him. Mm -hmm. And then, um, at some point in time, you know, he realizes that his stepson, you know, I'm like nine by this time, he realizes that wow, my stepson isn't black, you know. <laughs> You know, because all my friends, you know, they don't, you know, they aren't black. You know, I'm listening to Kiss, you know, Kiss is my favorite <laughs> brand. And, you know, the Fonz, I got posters of the Fonz on the wall. And so, and so he makes this his mission to make me culturally black. He starts oh, taking wow. me to the hood on the weekends to play with his friends, kids and all this stuff. And so, but it was like, it was kind of like you, it was kind of too late at that point in time. I'm just, I'm just me, you know, exactly. I'm just me, but I did succumb to the pressure like for a long time, you know, because that you know that that thing he put on me that I wasn't it was important for me to be culturally black. Mm -hmm. I tried for a long time just to to fit, you know, into all the categories, right? Okay. So, you know, I do go to college, I joined, you know, the blackest fraternity I can, you know. <laughs> you know, I just do all these, you know, my my black resume is just amazing. You should see it. But <laughs> But you know, I just, it just never, you know, it just never right. felt. I felt eventually, I get to the point where I'm just comfortable being just exactly who I am, right? And that's that's the most important thing. So that was awesome. You, you no one, you had in, had in your life that put that that monkey on your back. So no, yeah, thank God for that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so your mom, she she has this tremendous influence in your life. How does that? How does that? Everything she is as a wife and a mother, how does that shape you into the wife and mother that you are today? Wow. I mean, just to see her sacrifice in bringing me to America. And, and my mother was a lawyer in Nigeria. And when she came to America, obviously that law degree doesn't transfer. 
So she went from being a lawyer, a really successful lawyer, to cleaning homes and, and toilets and um, doing home health care and taking care of the elderly. And, but then she continued to get her education. We were actually in college for, for a while together, and she got her master's in special education. You guys were in school together? <laughs> yes. Wow. So she went from not having any kind of, you know, the e-learning was not a thing in the 70s when she graduated with her degree. So having mm -hmm. to, to start and learn that, and it was just amazing. I remember teaching her, this is a monitor, you know, this is, wow. a, this is a keyboard. And then to see her just, you know, doing reports for her for, for students and, and just becoming so proficient. So her work ethic, I mean, was amazing. Like she was just a tremendous woman. But as a mother, um, the humility that she had and just doing whatever she needed to, to, to take mm -hmm. care of her, her family aside from, you know, how she felt about it, it was beautiful. And I always think about that, um, especially just being a mother. It's not, it's not a glamorous job, you know, you're wiping blowouts and, and, and you know, anyways, doing all these things that can make you feel a certain kind of way, I guess. But in reality, motherhood is a calling in itself. We're um, mm. doing these things that that don't always that aren't always enjoyable. Um, I think that as women, as mothers, especially as Catholic mothers, we need to remind ourselves that as we're doing that, we're doing it for Christ. Um, yeah, for Christ. Yeah, and it's that changes everything. It changes the way that you look at your day. Um, it changes the way you look at your children, and yeah. it's yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. So how many, I mean, um, how many offspring do you guys have now? We have three children. I have a, a three and a half year old, a two year old, and a and an eight month old. Wow, those are three car seats <laughs> in a row. <laughs> yeah, big car seats too. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. That's a beautiful thing. God bless you guys. Thank you. It's it's great. I mean, yeah, you get used to not having that much sleep, but you. You know, but you're happy throughout the day. Yeah. Most of the day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's really wonderful. And I feel yeah. like, you know, it's not as common in our culture. So we go out and people see all of our children. I'm hoping they're behaving because I want it to be a good example. You know, like I, 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 I feel like because people don't have children, this many children necessarily, especially not this close together. They're often eyes on us. Um, oh, okay. And whenever people see me, they just make comments like, ooh, you have your hands full. Like, like with, wow, three. with three. With, with three, with three. But also I think it's because they're so close together. But yeah. they think me see it regardless because two. But there was a point in time when, you know, five, seven kids were just what everybody exactly. had. Right? It changed so much. And I just want to be an example of, of I want to show them how wonderful motherhood is. Even if I'm chasing my kids around and I, things might seem like it's like it's crazy, it's great. Like I highly recommend it, you know? So, <laughs> you know, I, I talked to these women that are like, you know, I had, I, I was at the beach the other day and I was with my three kids and she had her one. She was like, oof, like, how are you doing it? I have one and I'm overwhelmed. And I was like, it's a lot of work, but they're happy. They love having siblings. Like yeah. so much joy within just watching the three of them together. Um, I feel like it's the greatest thing that I could do for them is giving them siblings, right? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because <laughs> in a lot of ways, you grew up 
you know, like as the only kid, you know, because I mean, yeah. you have siblings, obviously, mm -hmm. but you, I mean, you were for the most part, you were here, you know, just by your, by your, just you and your mom for a number of years. Yeah. Right. I did feel like the only child for a long time. And then they, the boys showed up and there was no yeah. food in the fridge anymore. <laughs> the loaves of bread were gone like that. Started to hide food. <laughs> but I'm so happy that they came here and we're, we're very close and um, they're in Florida and one is here in LA, but. Oh, wow. Look at you guys all in warm weather places now, huh? Wow. <laughs> it was a strategic move for sure. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Man, so one of the, I mean, even though, I mean, you're uh, um, uh, um, a full-time mother, but mm -hmm. you also have a full-time ministry that um, is doing a lot of tremendous things that I want to talk about. So I'll talk a little bit about, um, it's the Ojaka. Okaja, yeah. Okaja Foundation, right? Talk a little bit about that because you 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 have a degree, you have undergraduate degrees in psychology and journalism. You spent time in in Hollywood doing with with media. You're doing a nonprofit there. Mm -hmm. um, how how does that all wrap up? How does that all come together to you now doing um this ministry? And talk a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, it's interesting. Like my back, I didn't think of. The non I never, I didn't even know about the nonprofit world, I guess, when I was in college. Um, but I really loved writing. So I got my journalism degree with mm -hmm. promotional communications. And then I also just really was intrigued by, you know, how the human mind works. So I got my degree in psychology. And not that I look back on it, um, those things coupled really, really helped me in, in my current position. So after my mom passed away, I met my husband and I became a um, a wife and I was pregnant and my aunt who is a sister in Nigeria, a reverend sister um, with mm -hmm. the handmaids of the Holy Child Jesus, she founded an orphanage and initially they had government support um, but they kind of got abandoned and they weren't okay. receiving any kind of funding anymore. So mm -hmm. the timing was fortuitous. I was, I already had this professional background in nonprofit fundraising, working for various nonprofits at this point. Um, but I knew that I wanted to be a stay-at-home mother. So when I was pregnant with my first child, we went through the process of becoming a 501c3 tax-exempt nonprofit. Um, and we started the Okada Foundation, which was in the memory of my, my late mother. Um, and now we support my aunt's uh, orphanage. She takes care of about 50 children. They're brought from newborn to 18 years of age. Wow. We help them give the children everything that they need. So, you know, food, clothing, and education up to the college level. And they, the children are happy. Um, they're doing yeah. wonderful work there, the sisters. Wow. So they're so about the College Foundation. Is that, you said in memory of your mother, is that her name or? It's her middle name, yes. Her middle name. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's take, let's bring it in. Let's take a look at it. Let's see what you guys are doing. So this is the, um, Website. Let me bring it over here so I can navigate around. So this is the website, and um, what are we looking at as we come into come to the yeah. website? So these are photos of um, the orf children at the orphanage, and this is also the, a photo of the second entity that we support, which is Kamsa Memorial Academy, a school that's also in rural Nigeria. So that's Sister Ritha with the children. Um, that's one of the youngest, Baby Providence. So the children have various backgrounds. Some of them are orphaned. Some of them are, are abandoned. Others have um, parents who are mentally ill and not able to, to take care of them. And they accept 
any child that's brought to their doors. And that's actually a day that the children got baptized. Um, oh, wow. So they're, they're very well taken care of. They're very, they're very happy. That's Father Surreal who founded the, or, um, sorry, the school, Comsol Academy that we support. Yeah. And his story is really interesting in that he fell ill and he suffered for a long time and was undiagnosed. And after he recovered, he, um, he founded the school kind of as a Thanksgiving to God for seeing oh. Wow. And the school isn't in a rural area that doesn't have access to very good education. So it's it's okay. kind of one of its one of its kind in that area in that they provide high quality, low cost education for these children whose parents don't make it very much. And low cost, I mean like it's a hundred dollars a year for a child. Wow, a hundred dollars a year. Yeah. For so a when Catholic I say education, it really goes a Catholic Catholic. education. Well, the the founder is Catholic, the school itself is not Catholic. Okay. But they do have a religious cl religion class. Um, oh wow! So they, yes, it's it's wonderful. I'm glad that 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 school was founded in that area because the conditions that the, the children were being taught in. I saw some photos. I mean, the, I saw one photo in that area where there was a flood. <clears throat> the children were literally like sitting on top of their stools with, you know, oh, wow. like a foot high, still trying to learn because you know Nigerians really value education. Um, so that school is a blessing. This orphanage is a blessing, and it's it's really wonderful to be able to to work with them and yeah. to, to keep them thriving. So let's take a little bit deeper because I want to talk specifically. So this is here is the Divine Providence Home. So and this is the one that was founded by your sister. I mean your your aunt, who's a religious sister. Mm -hmm. And initially, it had you said it had government funding, but that dried up or went away. And now um, your foundation that you that you run is helping to keep this going for these children who I guess they come here by various means. Sometimes they're abandoned. Sometimes they're. Yeah, sometimes they have parents who just aren't able to take care of them. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a really poor area that um, that they live in. And, you know, there was one woman who wasn't able to feed herself. So she wasn't producing milk for her infant. Um, and so her, her baby was also starving. So she she brought the infant to Divine Providence home and they took her in. Oh, wow. Um, so every story is different, but the children are really happy. Some do get adopted. Um, we had a, a few adoptions that I know of and it's it's really sad but beautiful because whenever they get adopted, they're just, they're heartbroken. They don't wanna leave. These are their yeah. sisters um, and they're really happy there. There's a chapel within the ground, so they're able to stay to say mass daily. Sister Rita actually said that today, since it's a feast of all souls, that they actually yeah. have masses. <laughs> wow! Um, and it's great because they are constantly praying for their benefactors. Um, and in the community, it's actually kind of, it's known as a, a place where people come with come to with prayers, and those prayers mm -hmm. they find are are often um, answered. And the children are really rich in faith, and they have such wonderful guidance. So. I'm really that's thankful. Real, that's really beautiful. And yeah. so when um, we support your organization, the money goes to support just just basic things like food, clothing, shelter, education, just just the yeah, healthcare, the all of that, and then some. I, we've had various project projects. So last year we had our inaugural gala, and our goal was to raise enough money to provide them with uh, a well so they could have drinking water in the property. Oh. 
Prior to that, they were going across this busy street to a nearby hospital and getting water from there. Um, so it was really dangerous for the children to be to be doing that, and also not having access to water is is yeah. everyone should have that. Yeah. So Gala last year we raised enough money um, and we installed a solar power bo- a borehole well, wow. which granted, you know, clean, healthy water, and also granted them access to water within the home, so they didn't necessarily have to go outside. We also had a project where we equipped them with solar panels. So in this area where they live, the thing about Nigeria is like, it seems like the more affluent areas are the areas where there's constant electricity and the areas that are more rural or, or lower income, um, it's just mm-hmm. it. there's light or there's not. And in their area, they, they rarely got any any light. So they were relying on a generator, but which is really costly in itself. So we were able to install solar panels um, and with that, they have 24-hour electricity now. Wow. So it's, I mean, it's really basic. <clears throat> think about it. Things that everyone should have. Yeah, yeah. Um, but unfortunately, they don't. They don't have some of these things. So it's our supporters are really wonderful. The money goes a really long way. Um, yeah, yeah. So let's take a look at. Let's dig deeper into the to the academy. Mm-hmm. And so this one, the um. um it was founded by uh, Father Cyril Bayam, correct? Yes. And he's also, you have so many religious people in your family, right? So he's, so he's also a priest. Uh, is he He's a religious or diocesan? Yeah, he's diocesan. So he's actually okay. here in, in New York. Um, oh. Parish there. But he goes, he founded the school and now he manages it kind of long distance. And they have a yeah. school um, and a great faculty. So talk a little bit about this. How do you, how how does um your foundation support this organization, this school? Yeah, we, we try to provide scholarships for the students. Like I said, it's only $100 a year for each student. Um mm-hmm. so if any if any donations come in, um and if people have the option, if they would like to to specify that it go to Divine Providence Home versus Console Academy, we have oh, Okay. Here. Um, but if they don't specify, we just take it to whatever, wherever the greatest need is. So we'll often give scholarships to the students. But most recently with the pandemic, the school had to shut down. Oh. And the faculty, um, they weren't receiving you know, a salary, obviously, because the students didn't have to pay. And they still had families to take care of and, and bills that were due. So mm-hmm. the patients that we, came, that we received for them actually went straight to the faculty. And oh, wow. We paid for their salaries for about three months during the summer. Oh, that's tremendous. But it was $700 for all of the faculty, right? What? Wow. <laughs> $100 a month. So yeah. when I say a little bit goes a long way, like it, it's amazing how much it really does. But, right, right. But you remember, you remember what it was like. You remember what it was like being in school, $700. That's not even for tuition <laughs> for a class. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a book. man and so one thing i really like about your your website as well you can click over here to the gram the instagram and you can see a lot of pictures um with your directly from directly from there for the school and from the house Mm -hmm. this is a handsome fella look at him let me, let me I'm not seeing it on my screen. 
Okay, since this is um since this is for recording, I'll just start from there. Give me one second. All right, give me one second. <clears throat> And one thing I like about your website is that you can click over here to the gram, to your Instagram page and site, and you can see a lot of pictures directly from the um, directly from the school and from the, um, the home. Yeah, it's great. That young man that's actually in the second row with that left photo, he's the one that works with me to take the photos. Um, so it's really nice because these are candid photos of his brothers and sisters and videos and having him being the one that's taking it. They're very, they're very, yeah. bad. you know, they're, they're having fun. But yeah, he's a handsome guy. I like him. Yes, good yeah, he's a really great kid. He's a really wonderful kid. Yeah. A funny good one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's, he's great. So these, this, these are just different photos and videos. The kids love dancing and singing. <laughs> Oh, this is actually, we received a grant from the United Nations Women's Guild, and it um, allowed them to, to get all new beds and mattresses and kids and cribs for the children. So what they're doing is they're dancing because the, the truck behind them has all the beds and cribs. And oh, wow. And for, you know, most of them, this is their first time having a bed of their own or, you know, and definitely a, a brand new bed. And the beds they had were about 20 wow. years old and were kind of dilapidated. Wow. So this is a great moment. <laughs> they are having a good time. I love that. <laughs> so these are the cribs that we awarded with the grant. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And they came with mattresses and everything, huh? Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's Sister Rita on her birthday. She was turning 80, 81. She's the one in the middle? She is, yes. Okay. Wow. And they're usually about three sisters that are there, and then they have different caretakers um, that, that help with the cooking and taking care of the children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So they, they're joyful children. They, they're just happy. They're happy to be there. They're, they're well taken care of. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I actually went there a few years ago um, when my daughter was just a couple months old after we had gotten married. Uh-huh. And we visited them and they greeted us like this with with song and dance and we just kind of had a dance party for for about an hour. Oh um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because you know most of these kids are still there. After they turn 18, we sent them to college. So they're not living on on the property anymore, but we still mm -hmm. support them up until they're independent. The goal is to to have them be independent adults. Um Yeah. So especially if they don't necessarily go to college, we pay for them to attend a trade school whatever they can do to, to wow. support themselves. Wow. Yeah. You're doing this. I mean, this is just such a tremendous good that you're going doing. And um, I mean, we're so blessed that, that God put you in a position that he prepared you without you even knowing what was coming that he put that he made this hour for you to, um, to be such a blessing to these children and to the teachers and to so many people in your native um, homeland. But I think that's how I think that's that's how charity works. Even though, um, you know, we give to your organization and the charity goes towards um, outside the United States, but we're really helping 
just a global community because we don't know where these children mm -hmm. may be in the future. We don't know yeah. who they're going to end up helping, who they're going to end up blessing. Some of them are going to be here or they're anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but that's how just a little bit of charity goes a long way and then extends far into far into the future. So that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Thank you. Um, I'm blessed to be able to do it. I think it. I'm far away from home. Yeah. America is my home now, but that's also my home. So it's a really beautiful way for me to stay connected to my culture, um, as well as, you know, to, to obviously help these children. But it's a blessing for me, too. And, and I get so much from it. And honestly, like, I feel their prayers. They're, they're constantly praying for me and that in itself. And like, I feel it like, you you know, they're they're wonderful yeah. children and they're praying for they make a point to pray daily for their benefactors, so those that donate. And often if there are any special attentions that any donors or anyone that we know may have, um, they want to know because as they say daily mass, they'll offer those attentions during mass. That's so. awesome, yeah. And here's the do the donation page. Um, so if we just go go here, um, you, you specify here, your impact by numbers, $50 fees, one child for a year. $100 provides one year of elementary school for one student. Mm -hmm. $1,300 provides one year of college education for a student. Mm -hmm. So um, we can mail a gift to um, your location in California or donate online. Simple as that. Right. Well, thanks for coming on to Talking Catholic, just sharing your um your journey with us, your faith journey, and what you're you're doing now. Thank you very much. This was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we well, yeah, got to have you back sometime soon to talk about some things more specific. But I definitely want to introduce you to uh, my audience and everyone who's in the Talking Catholic audience. Please go to her website, get to know more about her, and um, let's keep praying for her and her ministry. And um, but. Anything else? Did I miss anything? Are we good? No, no. I thank you. Thank you for having me. I will. I do want to mention that we have our. I'm really excited. So last year we had a really successful gala that allowed us to um, to install those those wells. And this year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we can't have an in person gala. But it's kind of great because we're doing a virtual gala, um, in which we're going to do like a virtual tour of Divine Providence Home and Council Academy, and it's going to feature a lot of cultural. Um, dances and, and singing and a lot of giveaways of you know religious artifacts that were handmade in Nigeria and you know jewelry that were handmade in Nigerian clothing and all of it will benefit you know the school and the orphanage but it should also be a lot of fun it's on December 5th um, it'll be held via zoom and there's information on our website for anyone that wants to participate that sounds good that sounds really good well until then until next time blessings and Shalom to you. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Thank you. 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 Thank you.